Grace Community Church, if you would, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 23. We've been coming through the book of Deuteronomy together, and we land this morning at chapter 23. If you've ever wondered how committed we are to expository preaching, verse by verse, you're about to find out. If you are a visitor here and you wonder, why did this man pick this part of scripture? Uh, I would encourage you to ask a member of this church or feel free to come ask me. What is the biblical reason, the importance for verse by verse expository preaching of God's word? Let's pray as we get ready to read. Father, thank you so much for the truth. God, we know that in our flesh, we are so susceptible, Lord, to lies and deceit and confusion. But we praise you, God, that you give us the light of your word, the truth of your word. And God, we, we confess, we, we, we agree with what you've said, that all of it, Lord, is breathed out by you. And all of it is profitable and good for our souls, good for our instruction. It's food for us. God, I pray that you would help us this morning to eat the food of your word and to be nourished in our souls. We love you, Lord, and commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Deuteronomy 23, we're going to read verse 1 through 14. So please see God's word and read along with me. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. No one born of a forbidden union may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you. Because the Lord your God loved you. You shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all your days forever. You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian, because you are a sojourner in his land. Children born to them in the third generation may enter the assembly of the Lord. 
When you are encamped against your enemies, then you shall keep yourself from every evil thing. If any man among you becomes unclean because of a nocturnal emission, then he shall go outside the camp. He shall not come inside the camp, but, but when evening comes, he shall bathe himself in water, and as the sun sets, he may come inside the camp. You shall have a place outside the camp, and you shall go out to it, and you shall have a trowel with your tools, and when you sit down outside, you shall dig a hole with it and turn back and cover up your excrement. Because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to give up your enemies before you, therefore your camp must be holy so that he may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. This is God's word. You could break up this passage, Deuteronomy 23, verse 1 through 14, into two main sections. Let me explain that quickly. Section number one would be verses 1 through 8, which is mainly concerning who is able, who is allowed to enter the assembly of the Lord. I wonder if you noticed that as I was reading verses 1 through 8. Did you notice the repetition? Five or six times it says, the assembly of the Lord, the assembly of the Lord. The assembly of the Lord. Who's allowed to enter the assembly? And who is banned from entering the assembly of the Lord? So that's what verses 1 through 8 is all about. Who can enter the assembly of the Lord? Now the second part of this, second you know, main section in this passage, is verses 9 through 14. And it's concerning God's presence among his people when they go out to war. God's presence among his people when they go out to war. You see it in verse 9. When you are encamped against your enemies, that's warfare talk. They're encamped against their enemies. They're going out to war. There's some things they should do and not do. It it goes on to say, then you shall keep yourself from every evil thing. So it's about them going out to war and keeping themselves from every evil thing. Now verses 10 through 13 in this section It mentions two issues of cleanness or uncleanness. Two laws about cleanness or uncleanness. One is about nocturnal emission, it says here, and the other is essentially about where to go to the bathroom and how to do that outside the camp. These were two ways that soldiers could become unclean in the camp, and the way that when that happened, here's a way that they they would become clean. Now, what are the reason? What, what are the reasons? What, what's the what's the why behind these two uncleanness or cleanness laws? What's the reason for it? And I would just tell you from the front end. We'll talk about this again in a mo- in a moment. It's not just about good hygiene, although this is good hygiene. But it's not just about that. In fact, verse nine says what? Look at it again. Verse nine says. When you're encamped against your enemies, then you shall keep yourself from every evil thing. It's talking about something evil. Then it mentions these two cleanness, uncleanness laws. One of them is about going to the bathroom. And then it says this in verse 14. What's the reason? Just look at it. Verse 14 says, because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp. God's there. It's his presence. That's what this is about. To deliver you and to give you up before your enemy, to give up your enemies before you. 
Therefore your camp must be holy so that he, might, he may not see any indecent thing among you and turn away from you. So this is about God's presence in the midst of the war camp. And we'll come back to that here in just a moment. So we have these two sections. Let's try to dig deeper into these two sections. One is about who can enter the assembly. The other is about God's presence in, in the war camp. So let's start with verses 1 through 8. Who can enter the assembly? Now the first question, now again it's, it's repeated there I believe five times, maybe six times. Uh, assembly of the Lord, assembly of the Lord, the assembly of the Lord. What is, what is this thing that they're calling the assembly of the Lord? It's a, rep- it's a reference to the people of God that God is in covenant with. Who can be, who can be a part of this covenant with God? It's a reference to the people of God who he's in covenant with. In fact, you don't have to flip there, but I want to read this to you from Exodus chapter 19. This is, uh, remember, God has taken his people, delivered them from slavery out of Egypt, is bringing them into the promised land, which we're on the verge of in Deuteronomy. And listen to Exodus 19 verse 4. It says this, "You You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Isn't that a good phrase? I brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation this is a people in covenant with their god this is the assembly of the lord it's god's covenant community the assembly of the lord now jews were born into it and for certain uh reasons of ungodliness or breaking ceremony ceremonial law those kind of things they could be excluded from it but they were born into it and our passage actually teaches us that that there are some foreigners that could be brought into it under certain stipulations, essentially becoming Jewish. Foreigners could be brought into the assembly of the Lord, the covenant people of God. Not everybody that lived within Israel's borders would be considered a part of the covenant people of God, which is also clear from our passage. Now let me just, just to make it as clear as I can, let me read uh, from two different commentators about what does it mean, this, this idea of the assembly of the Lord. One commentator writes this, The assembly of the Lord means the assembly of those who belong fully to the covenant community and gather for worship, for the reading of the law, and for festivals. Another another one says this, another commentator says this, The assembly of the Lord refers to the covenant people of God, particularly when they are gathered in His presence. It has a general reference to Israel as a worshiping community, Thus, to enter the assembly of the Lord would indicate a person who became a true Israelite and who therefore shared in the worship of the Lord. So here's this passage we have. It's all about entering the assembly. Who can be a part of this thing called the assembly of the Lord? God's covenant community people. Now, what would it mean? What would it mean to be banned from this? To be barred from being a part 
of the assembly of the Lord. What would it mean? And I'll use some New Testament language to help you, to help you get a feel for how serious this is. Listen to Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. Remember, just listen, Ephesians 2, 11. Remember that at one time you, at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time, this is what it means to be banned. You were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the common wealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Now, if that doesn't mean anything to you, keep, keep listening. Having no hope, having no hope and without God in the world. It goes on to say, you who once were far off, you were far off without hope, without God in the world. To be barred from this, the assembly, to not be able to be a part. I fear Yahweh, I fear this God, but I can't be a part of the assembly of the Lord. It's, this is serious. Without hope and without God in the world. Now Deuteronomy 23, our passage mentions three groups of people that are banned from the assembly. They're banned from, they're, they're excluded from the assembly. Number one, it mentions in verse one, eunuchs. Eunuchs. Now this was likely about somebody becoming a eunuch for religious purposes. This would have been very likely a service to a false god. So these false god serving eunuchs might live within the borders of Israel, maybe, but they'd be banned from the covenant people. They can never be a part of the covenant people of God. They would not be allowed to participate in corporate worship or in the sacrifices or in the benefits of being members of the household of God. They couldn't have any of that as a eunuch. That's right there in verse 1, Deuteronomy 23, verse 1. Now the second group of people, we see it in verse 2, are those who are descendants from what it says here, a forbidden union. Those that are descendants from a forbidden union. Now it says here, even to the 10th generation, which means it keeps going, it's ongoing, it's forever. They can't, are you descended from a forbidden union? You can't be, you can't enter the assembly of the Lord. Now forbidden union, as it says here, could be a variety of things. It could be descendants of those birthed out of fornication or adultery or other sexual perversions. It very likely had to do with intermarriages with uh, the, these pagan cultures and their pagan gods. This forbidden union. They were told not to, not to intermarry with the nations around them that worship these false gods. So it likely would have had to do with that. And I want you to think about this. Just as these rules would have discourage someone from serving a false god and becoming a eunuch so it would discourage these things that God has, has told them not to do which is these, these forbidden marriages or these forbidden unions. So the eunuchs, the descendants of forbidden unions and then number three, you see it in verse three through six here, the Ammonites and the Moabites. 
these two groups of people banned from entering the assembly, the Ammonites and the Moabites. If you look at it, this is actually a ban forever. Look at verse 3. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. It's a forever ban. Skip down to verse 6. You shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all your days forever. Don't allow them into the assembly. Don't seek their peace or their prosperity all your days, it says, forever. Now, you might wonder why. Okay, I understand the eunuchs may be connected to false gods and, and these forbidden marriages were against what God's commanded in his law. But why the Moabites and the Ammonites? Well, the reason is given in verse 4. And there's two situations that you can go back and you can read about these situations in the Old Testament. Excuse me, further back in the Old Testament, you can go read about these situations. This is the reason why, verse 4. Because they, that's the Ammonite and Moabites, because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you, when you came out of Egypt. Remember that? And, reason number two, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor, Mesopotamia, to curse you. You remember that situation in Numbers 22. So it says, because of these reasons, the Moabites and Ammonites cannot enter the assembly of the Lord. It gives you the reason in verse 4. And then it's interesting, verse 5, if you just kind of glance at it, gives you like this quick little uh, excursion. This quick little, almost like a parenthetical statement, a side note. In verse 5, it says, But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. Isn't that interesting? You could have went straight from verse 4 to verse 6. It could have just been, here's the reason why they can't enter the assembly. Okay, moving on. But instead, you get this quick little, quick little uh, side, side note. God stopped, you know, Balaam was trying to curse you, and God stopped, and he turned it into a blessing because, because he loved you. So we're reminded through this little excursion of the situation that happened with Balaam, and you can go read about that in Numbers 22, Numbers 23, and Numbers 24. And since, and since he makes a little excursion in the text, I'm going, to do, I'm going to do the same thing for just a moment. Do you remember this situation with Balaam? Do you remember what happened? That here's the people of Israel down in this valley, and up on the hills is the king of Moab, a Moabite. And that king of Moab is trying to figure out a way to destroy these people that are about to take his land. And one of the ways he does that is he goes and grabs this man, a supposedly, supposedly a powerful man, Balaam, a prophet. And he grabs Balaam and begins to pay Balaam. Balaam, you come and curse these people for me. And it's so interesting because there's this real connection in Numbers 22 through 24, cursing and blessing. There's a real connection to what God promised to Abraham. Abraham, those who curse you will be cursed. Those who bless you will be blessed. And in your seed, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now you've got Balaam trying to curse these people. And three times he tries to curse them. And God makes the words coming out of his mouth turn into a blessing on Israel. It's a beautiful story. Now, one thing we're not given in the book of Numbers that we're told here in our passage in Deuteronomy 23 is a motive of God. 
Why did God do that? Why did God take this wicked man Balaam and take the curses where he's trying to curse and turn them into blessings for his people? Why? And verse 5 has this little phrase that's so glorious about God. It says, because the Lord your God loved you. Because, because the Lord your God loved you. Israel's down in the valley. They're probably none the wiser. Do they even know that there's men trying to curse them from the hills? Do they even know? And God's protecting them. God's loving them. And I want to encourage you to see that that love of God towards Israel actually extends out to me and you in this room today. And here's why I say that. Because through that people in the valley, through that, those people, Israel was promised a Messiah that was going to come. And if Moab could destroy these people, they destroy that promise that the Messiah would come. But God's protecting that promise so that the Messiah could come for me, the Messiah could come for you, and Christ Jesus did come. And the reason I think this way about this story, I'd encourage you to go back and study it, is you look at what Balaam says and the three times he tries to curse, but he actually lays down a blessing, you hear language like this. A star, a star will arise out of Jacob. And you start thinking, what's he talking about? He starts talking about a king that's going to come out of Israel. You realize in that valley, they didn't even have a king at that time. But he's talking about a king that's going to come and a star that's going to rise. It's this messianic prophecy that God's putting on the lips of a wicked man. And God loved his people and God loved us because Christ came through these people to save us. So here are these folks, coming back to our passage, that are banned from the assembly of the Lord. The eunuch, the descendants of a forbidden union, and as it says here, the Ammonites and the Moabites. Now, in verse 7 and 8, last two verses of this section, we see two groups that, that maybe, you, maybe you would have thought would, would be banned from the assembly and yet, they're given an allowance. They're allowed in. Look at him, verse 7. You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he's your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian, because you were sojourn sojourning his land. Children born to them in the third generation may enter. They're not banned. They're allowed in. They may enter the assembly of the Lord. Now, think about that. An Edomite? From Esau, you remember the story of Esau, you remember what he did. An Egyptian? Really? You remember the Egyptian? This is where the people were enslaved. An Egyptian? And he says here, allow an Edomite, their children to the, in the third generation, allow them in. He's your brother. The Egyptian, allow them in because you were sojourners in their land. So they're actually given allowance here, which is really interesting. We'll come right back to it. So who is a part of the assembly of the Lord matters to God. That's clear here, right? That's clear in our passage. It matters to God. Who, who's marked off as the covenant people of God? And it should, matter, it should matter to his people as well. It should matter to Israel. It should matter to them who is marked off as a part of the assembly. Now I want to encourage you not to miss the mercy of God in this passage. And I believe one way you see the mercy of God is not only with the Edomites and the Egyptians being allowed in, 
but with the exception to the rules that we end up seeing throughout the rest of Scripture. You see the, you see the mercy of God. Here's those that are being excluded, and yet you can see the mercy of God. And I, and I want you to see it by it's just kind of working backwards. We just went through uh, four different categories. Let's work backwards back through those categories. So first off, it mentions the Edomite and the Egyptian. So imagine that. Try to put yourself in those shoes. You're an Edomite. Verse 7 and 8. You're, you're an Egyptian. And somehow you've come to this place where you fear God. You fear Yahweh, the God of Israel. That's the one that you fear. Am I going to be allowed into the assembly? And you hear these beautiful words. You could come in. They know the history. The Edomites know the history. The Egyptians know the history. And yet, and yet they're allowed in. Mercy from God to be allowed in to the assembly. That's the easy one. That's the easy one. What about the Moabites? I would encourage you, you can see the same mercy on display in a woman named Ruth. Ruth. You know what she was. Ruth, if you go read that book, was a Moabite. Go read it. And go look at God's mercy to a one that is excluded from the assembly. And yet go look at the story of Ruth. Go read the book and see God's mercy to her. And then go read Matthew 1 and you have the lineage that leads up to the Messiah coming. And Ruth, a Moabite, is there in that lineage. One of her descendants would be Savior of the Jews and Savior of the world. Same mercy is on display in a man named Solomon. Born of who? A descendant of who? Of David and Bathsheba. Remember that forbidden union? And I want you to listen to how it's said. If you go to that lineage of Jesus, remember Matthew chapter 1 starts off with a lineage, a, a, gene, a genealogical record of Christ Jesus the Lord. And listen to how it says this in Matthew chapter 1. And David was the father of Solomon. Why does it say this next phrase? David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. The scripture didn't forget it. That wicked union is birth and adultery and murder and wickedness. And here God says, and that man Solomon is right there in the lineage of the Christ. The mercy of God towards Egyptian, the mercy of God towards the Moabites, the, the mercy of God towards those, those of a forbidden union. And what about the eunuch? And this is the sweetest one to me. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1. Those eunuchs that are excluded from the assembly. What about God's mercy to them? Well, you remember over in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, I bet most of you know the story. It's a story about the salvation of an Ethiopian eunuch so here's a man that's a foreigner got that against him and he's a eunuch according to deuteronomy 23 1 he is banned from the assembly acts chapter 8 ethiopian eunuch he's barred he's banned you can't come into the assembly of the lord and yet somehow that man in acts 8 had come to fear the god of israel we know that He's from Ethiopia and he's making this long journey and he's traveling in to worship God in Jerusalem, the one true God. He's come to fear the God of Israel. We know it because somehow this man has come in possession of Scripture. 
Remember that? He's coming to possession of the, the, the prophet Isaiah, and he's studying it, and he's reading it. He's a eunuch from Ethiopia. This man has come to fear God. He's come to fear God. And I can't, I can't help but wonder, as he travels into Jerusalem, what kind of disappointment did he face there? When the Ethiopian eunuch gets to Jerusalem and he worships, he's trying to worship, what kind of disappointment did he face there? He's hindered in his worship. He's banned from sacrifice. He's excluded to a certain outer part of the temple. He's barred from the assembly. And like Jesus, he probably saw the same hypocrisy that the place that's supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations is turned into a den of thieves. They just want my money. I wonder if he faced disappointment there. But then on his way home, Back to Ethiopia, Acts, Acts 8 tells us, on his way home, God sends Philip to him, to this eunuch. This one excluded from the assembly. God sends Philip to him. And what happened? Philip overhears him reading Isaiah 53 about a lamb that would be slaughtered. And Philip gets up in the chariot with him and, and, and the man says, who's this talking about? And Philip begins to explain to this man that Isaiah 53 is about Jesus, the one that was slaughtered for your sins. And that man gets saved and that man gets baptized. God sent him a gift in Philip to explain the Messiah who is Christ Jesus the Lord. And then Philip disappears. Do you think the Ethiopian eunuch, after he was saved and baptized, you think he finished the book of Isaiah? He was obviously reading Isaiah 53. You think he finished it? It at least could be that just a few miles down the road, I want to read this to you from Isaiah 56. God saves his soul through Isaiah 53. He sees the lamb that was slaughtered for my sins coming out of that disappointment of Jerusalem. He sees Christ. He's a saved man. He's a baptized man. And maybe just a few miles down the road, he reads this in Isaiah 56. Just in our Bible, just a few chapters later. Listen to what he would read. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. So don't let the foreigner say that. Imagine him reading this. Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Imagine him reading that. And the foreigner who joins himself to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does, and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these, God says to this eunuch, these I will bring to my holy mountain and I'll make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house should be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Wouldn't that have been sweet to his soul? And I want you to see this. God's mercy. 
In the middle of this exclusion, those who are excluded from the assembly and those who are allowed in, you see the mercy of God. That You see it even in the law, even the exceptions, and you see it explode on the scene at Christ. As Christ comes and dies for sinners, the explosion of God's mercy to all the world. The eunuch could come in. The foreigner can come in. The one descended from a, a forbidden union could come in. The chief of sinners can come in. Now, as we get to that second section, verses 9 through 14, as I told you, this is about God's presence among his army. And so we've got, we're making a little bit of a shift here. We're going from instruction to the assembly of the Lord to instruction to the armies of the Lord in verse 9 through 14. This is, this is moving from instruction to the worshipers to instruction to the warriors. We're going from who can be with God in his assembly to how can we make sure God's with us in the war camp. This is a transition to verse 9 through 14. Now I've already made reference to the two laws of cleanness and uncleanness that are here. You see it in verse 10 through 13. And as I said earlier, these laws obviously have hygiene benefits, okay? But I cannot stress it enough that that is not the point of these laws. Remember, verse 9 says, evil, keep evil from you. Remember verse 14 again, what is the purpose of this law? It's not just about hygiene, it's not about, just about the spread of disease. Maybe you've heard that, it's not that. Verse 14 says, because, here's the reason, because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp. To deliver you and to give up your enemies before you. Therefore, your camp must be holy so that he may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. God's in your midst. Keep these laws that he might not turn away from you. Now, why, why would uncleanness and cleanness laws determine God's presence with the armies of the Lord? Let me try to use an example from Moses in Exodus 3 to maybe explain this. You remember Moses in Exodus 3 when he came before the burning bush. Moses is in the presence of God. He's in the presence of God at the burning bush. You remember that passage, right? And what does God say? God commands, take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. He's in the presence of God and he hears, take your sandals off your feet, you're on holy ground. Now, are sandals inherently evil? No, they're not. Is barefootedness inherently holy? And I hope you know the answer to that is no. But what if Moses had refused? Now I'm keeping my sandals on. That would be evil. You understand? That would be evil. Not because sandals are inherently evil or going barefooted is somehow inherently good. That's not the reason, but it would have been evil nonetheless. Why? And, and because God told him, you're in my presence, remove your sandals. And God would have removed Moses from his presence had he not obeyed this. 
So I want you to think about that. It's not that, it's not that taking off the sandals is inherently good or bad, but because God's presence is holy, God puts forward stipulations for Moses to remind him of the holiness of his presence. I am, I am before you. Take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. Now we see the same thing, I would argue, in Deuteronomy chapter 23. There's nothing inherently holy or unholy about these two laws concerning uncleanness and cleanness. But they're given to the soldiers of Israel to remind them of the holiness of God's presence. In other words, Israel, there's something about this war camp, the war camp of my people, that's unlike any other war camp on the planet. And what is that thing that's different? I'm here. I dwell in your midst. Israel, fear God in his presence, desire and long for his presence so much that it affects every detail of your life. Here's these laws. Take the sandals off your feet. Or in this case, hear these laws. Of cleanness and uncleanness. <clears throat> now, these thoughts about first section, who can enter the assembly, second section, God's presence in the war camp. What does all this stuff have to do with us? What does all this stuff have to do with us? Well, let me try to explain. As the church of Jesus Christ we are the assembly of the Lord. The church is the assembly of the Lord. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, it translates this word assembly here in Deuteronomy 23 as the Greek word ekklesia. And that probably sounds familiar to you because the Greek word ekklesia in the New, church, excuse me, in the New Testament is the word for church. The ecclesia, the assembly. The church is the assembly of the Lord. And as the church of Jesus Christ, we are also the armies of the Lord. We are the, we're the military of the Lord. In the New Testament, you see Christians calling fellow Christians my fellow soldier. We see that in Philemon, we see it in Colossians, other places. My fellow soldier. So we are the assembly. The church is the assembly of the Lord. The church is the army of the Lord. The church is the covenant community of worshipers and warriors. Worshipers in the assembly and warriors in the darkness of this age. The New Testament assembly is not limited to Jews or to those who would become Jewish by circumcision or ceremony, like we see in Deuteronomy 23. These ceremonial laws were good for setting Israel apart from the nations until the Messiah should come, but the Messiah has come. And now the door's been kicked wide open for eunuchs and foreigners and those descendants from for, uh, forbidden unions to come in through the blood of Jesus Christ. The door's been kicked wide open to come in through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me take you back to that New Testament verse I told you about earlier, Ephesians 2, verse 11 through 13. Hear it again, but listen to how it ends this time. Remember, 
that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. And man, this is beautiful. This is what I didn't read earlier. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, excluded no more. Brought near by the blood of Christ. And every time we gather for worship, every time we gather like this as the church for the worship of Christ, just like we are now, it's like we're in, it's like we're in a war camp in enemy territory. We're light and we live in the midst of darkness. We live in this present evil age, as it says in Galatians 1. And it's like we gather up to worship and we're in a war camp in enemy territory. We come together to worship before we go back into the world to fight, to fight for His glory. And we're asking God, oh God, let your presence remain with us. Let your presence be here in this war camp. Now you can be removed you can be removed from the New Testament assembly, but it's not for biological or genealogical reasons. It's just because of sin, unrepentant sin. It shows yourself to not be a citizen of the kingdom, like we see in 1 Corinthians 5. And we even have examples of Jesus threatening the removal of his presence from the New Testament war camp. But it's not because of breaking some kind of cleanness laws. We see, it, we see the threat go to the church at Ephesus for this reason. Because you abandoned the love that you had at first. The love you had towards Christ. And there's a threat there that he would remove them from his presence. So Grace Community Church, don't miss this. From Deuteronomy chapter 23 and what flows out of it. Don't miss this. You are the true assembly of the Lord. Marked off, not by circumcision, but by spiritual circumcision, the circumcision of the heart. That's how God has marked you off. Truly cleansed, cleansed, but not by various washings, but cleansed by the blood of Christ and the washing of the water of the word. You were those encamped against the darkness of this world, not with chariots, or spears, or earthly weapons, but waging war with the sword of the Spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's who you are as the church of Christ. And our greatest desire, our greatest desire, in fact, our greatest hope, our only hope is this, that because of what Christ has done, Deuteronomy 23 verse 14 would be true. The Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp. It says the same thing in Revelation 2 and 3. He walks in the midst of the lampstands to deliver you and to give up your enemies before you. Therefore, your camp must be holy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for giving us insight and light into the way that you have dealt with nations of the past and your mercy there God and your mercy through Christ thank you for your word 
And God, I pray that you would help us to live this out as the assembly of true worshipers, as the army of warriors. God, as your people, help us to live that out, God. I pray that we would be those that are holy, Lord, and it's obvious that you dwell among us, that, you, that, that we are in your presence, God, and you go with us to battle. God, make us faithful worshipers and faithful warriors for your glory and namesake. We commit this time to you. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.